This is T, and you're listening to The Creative Kickback, a show about creative people from Richmond and beyond. Yo, so today's guest is a really good friend of mine, Bridget Todd. She is a producer for Afropunk Solution Sessions and a phenomenal organizer and writer. Check it out. All right, so I'm here with Bridget Todd, Bridget Marie, Gidget Mod, a friend, a longtime friend from high school, but also like a young entrepreneurial writer out in the world. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. She has me in her luxurious um, rooftop apartment in uh, Washington, D.C. <laughs> and Columbia Heights. Let's not, let's not get crazy. <laughs> um, it's the, it is a very lovely and cozy space, and we are curled up um, in a very bright and sunny room with yeah. plants. And you can, I like to keep it plant-filled, crystal-filled. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're like one of those new, new age joints that likes to... Do you have like a line, you align your chakras and stuff? Every you, day, all the time. I just saged in here. Are you serious? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Okay. One time a um, delivery person came in and they looked around and they said, are you some kind of a witch or something? You've got all these plants and crystals and candles. And I, I took that as a, like a real compliment. Yeah. To be doing witchy things. Okay. So Bridget, tell me a little bit about what you do. I will. So I, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I, uh, I guess you could, my, my work has really evolved over the years. Right now, my primary focus is what you might call like online storytelling. I'm a podcaster. I'm a writer. Okay. Right now, I am producing a podcast for Afropunk, okay. um, Afropunk Solution Sessions. Uh, okay. I host it. I produce it. I write it. I script it. I do all the stuff. It's wow. a lot. So, um, and it's just you doing all those things for that podcast? It's like me and a team. So, okay. it's definitely like... like I'm the, I have a, I have a amazing, amazing production staff. Um, okay. Shout out to Quan. I could not do any of this without, without her guidance. Okay. Um, but largely it's just, we're sort of on our own thinking through like, how do we tell the stories of, you know, young, creative black people who are really changing the face of what we think of what it means to be black. Like how do we ch- tell that story online? Okay. And Afropunk is also a global salon. It's a music festival. So they have festivals mm-hmm. in places like Brooklyn, which is their flagship, mm-hmm. um, Atlanta, Johannesburg, South Africa, which I just came back from. Mm-hmm. Um, I just came back from Africa. I just, oh, I just like, Africa. I was going to slide that in there. <laughs> oh, mm, I'm a bit jet lagged. I just got back from the continent. <laughs> <laughs> well, so talk to me a little bit more about, how you came to Afropunk. And the reason why I ask is because my experience with Afropunk is like the sec- 2008. They had been on maybe two or three years by that time. And it was way smaller, mm. way more gritty, way more like, you know, just a bunch of black kids with dreads skating around and like... Accurate. Was, yeah, it was like, it was kind of... It, it wasn't grimy because it was still Brooklyn 2008, but it was not like the behemoth that it is So your now. question is, how did it come from like a handful of black kids skating with dreads to like black Coachella? Because that seems to be... Yeah, <laughs> black <laughs> international Coachella. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like people often complain about that, but it's also kind of when you think about what the organization has pulled off to really make it like a destination for black folks globally to come. Definitely. I'm curious about like, your thoughts on that, if you know anything about that, and also like how the podcast plays into this. Yeah, that's a, that's such a great set of questions. Um, I would say so. My my experience with Afropunk, I first it first came on my radar from the documentary, um, okay. which was like I, I was in college when it came out. Um, um, so that must have been around two thousand eight. That or maybe no earlier than that. 
Okay. Yeah, this, this must have been like 2005 because I was still an undergrad. And, you know, the documentary was, you know, Afropunk, the other black experience. And I thought like, oh, that sounds like something I'd be interested in. And at the time, you know, I really liked the documentary. I really um, identified with it. But I had no idea it was going to start this like global movement. And I went to some early Afropunk festivals and I enjoyed myself. I had a good time. But then, you know, I sort of like thought of it as this fun cultural thing that happened once a year. I didn't really think much of it. And then I went on to do other professional things. You know, I was teaching at Howard for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, I was working in other organizations, working in politics, working in organizing. And when I got into podcasting, it was really sort of a function of my political organizing work. And so I really I really saw podcasting as related to that. Got it. And just coincidentally, um, the network that I podcasted for at the time, How Stuff Works, was also in development with Afropunk. And I was like, Afropunk, like, I know who they are. I know them. Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar with their brand. And that's sort of how I came on board. Okay. And you know, they had been interested in turning their their kind of global, social, public-facing salon um, mm -hmm. called Solution Sessions into a, like a TED Talk-style podcast because Solution Sessions really is where all these interesting activists, artists, creatives, you know, dancers, makers, dreamers, entrepreneurs, all of these people are coming together to talk about, you know, the problems that we face as like young black people in the world and then also the solutions and sort of what it means to be, you know, what does global blackness mean in 2019 and sort of how do we express that? And then how do we use that sort of creative prowess to solve the problems that, that face us, you know, and that's really what we want to do with the podcast. And that's what we do with the, with the global series. And so, you know, in Brooklyn, we spoke to folks like, um, so in Brooklyn, we were lucky enough to talk to folks like, um, me Too creator Toronto Burke, um, Terrence Nance, who created HBO's Random Acts of Flyness, um, director Ava DuVernay, mm -hmm. um, and really talking about how different approaches to, A, telling the story of what it means to be a global Black person in 2019, and then B, how we kind of harness that power to sort of solve problems and have conversations and all of that. And so, yeah, it's really about having those interesting conversations that really matter to us. And then also just sort of the idea that it's okay to be, you know, uh, like young and black and creative and interested in different things and sort of wanting to use, like wanting to tap into whatever creative potential that you have in yourself. Like that's a, that's a cool thing. I think that for so long, I personally thought that if I was going to do any kind of social change work, I needed to be a lawyer or I needed mm -hmm. to work as an organizer, which, you know, I did for, for many years and yeah. still have that sort of in my heart, but you can also create change by being a creative what was the biggest challenge in your political and organizing work to being able that, that what was the biggest challenge in that in your organizing and um political work that now in your creative work you're able to work around that's such a good question oh god i mean I, I love my first love is and always will be like political organizing and activism right like that's that's what's in my veins that's what gets me up in the morning but a lot of that work at least I personally found it to be kind of draining you know it was mm -hmm. like like I you know was working at Planned Parenthood in the heart of the Trump administration Ooh. and you know that's work that it's very fulfilling work it's work I'm very passionate about it's very important work but mm -hmm. it's also work that is hard and tough and enraging and you know, you could work for weeks and weeks and weeks on something and Trump could tweet something and your entire week of like work would your entire scope of work for the week would change based mm -hmm. on an arbitrary tweet. And that tweet may, may or may not happen. Like Trump, I remember Trump tweeting something like it may be time to review Planned Parenthood's yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And that one off tweet changed the scope of what we had been doing for the month. And so mm -hmm. for me, 
being able to say like, I, this work is very important to me, but I may have other ways of contributing that I'm able to do for a more sustained amount of time. Right. Like it just wasn't going to work that I was going to be able to work at Planned Parenthood. I would say nine to five, but let's be honest, more like eight to 11, come home to my apartment exhausted, Mm -hmm. make interesting creative work separately from that. And then like go on to live a happy life. Like that just wasn't going to happen. I did that for a while and it just became clear that like, that was not going to be a thing that was going to be able to exist in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to say, you know, organizing and social change and activism is something that I, I will always, will always be the thing that gets me up in the morning, but I can be involved in those fights in ways that feel truer to myself because what doesn't feel true to myself is coming home exhausted every day and feeling like I can't function because I've been mired in these fights for too long on the front lines. Yes. And so it, acknowledging to myself that like I may be able to still be in that world and contribute, but just in a way that feels different for me has been really, was difficult, but was, has been really helpful. What is, what's the toughest part about your work working with Afropunk? As a person who knows you personally and also a person who follows you online, it looks so luxurious to like go to these different like Afropunk. Well, my life is just like travel and like good food and cocktails <laughs> backstage with, you know, yeah, Thundercat. Like, <laughs> That's like all, all I these, do all day. Every time I, you're like in the South of France and uh, like <laughs> Africa and in South America. And well, I don't know if I saw you in South America. It looks good, but I also know that like on the other side of that, just like the level of like on you have to be on to be able to do big events like that. Yeah. Can be excruciating, even though you have like the photo op, which is cute. Yeah, that's so, a good way to put it. Talk about talk a little bit a bit more about like it's cute and shiny like the work to be able to say like you've met all these famous people but also like what's like really hard about it everything I mean I think I think that what you've just described what you've just articulated so well is is a big part of what's so hard about it is that it does look very flashy and like I I know people who know me pretty well that like think I don't work they're like oh all you all you do is like travel and like. <laughs> hang out with celebrities and like get drunk backstage. Right. And I, I can understand why it looks that way, but then mm-hmm. that disconnect makes it that much harder. And so yeah. it is really hard. I think part of it is that I'm on the road. Like when you came in, you probably saw my calendar on the, mm-hmm. on the table and all of those, it's a full month, all full of, oh, it's a full month, all full of post-its, you know, be here on this day, here on that day, here on this day. I maybe will have like a week where, you know, I'm just at home in my apartment, in my space. And so it does get hard, you know, it's very fun. It's very exciting. It's definitely what I signed up for, but it's not as glamorous as people think, right? Like it's not, it's not, it's not always fun being on the road all the time. It's not always yeah. fun. And also it's super fun to go to festivals and stuff, but you would just have to be really mindful of the energy that are in those spaces, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe you don't want to be around people like partying and drinking all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe like if you're, if you're someone like me who like loves to be the life of the party, loves to have fun, mm-hmm. maybe you have to have a really con- like you have to enter those spaces in a really conscious way and in a really intentional way. Yeah. And so just sort of preparing myself for that kind of thing yeah. has been has been really important. Do you think it's also a function of just being older? I mean, we're, we're like in our early to mid 30s. Mm-hmm. So but I think. That is being intentional about how and when and what you do when you enter spaces and like what how you allot your energy is something that I've learned um, as I've gotten older. 
but it just that also just sounds like something that happens when you're just like grown you're like oh for sure for sure if i was 25 this would be the (laughs) i i would be like no my job is amazing and my job is amazing like let's be real like my job has a lot of perks i'm extremely like privileged and lucky and blessed and all of that Mm -hmm. um but i do think it's a function of i'm a bit older i the people i work with are like a a little bit younger than me okay and so having to remember that is important (laughs) i mean not there are people who are on the editorial team there are people who are older than me and the people who run like my bosses are all older than me but Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting it is interesting and i think it, it i really see it in what i'm like when i'm in dc in my apartment at home mm-hmm. like when i'm when i'm when i have a week where i'm not traveling because i i barely leave the house and i'm so i'm such a homebody when i'm not travel when i'm not in south america when i'm not in you know johannesburg south africa whatever <laughs> i'm i like just want to make dinner and like drink some seltzer Ooh. and like fall asleep on yes. the couch. Sparkly water is bad bitch juice. I'm That's telling like- you, get a seltzer maker. It'll change your life. So it changed my life. I got one, but I actually really just enjoy getting the cans because there's something mm. very satisfactory about popping it open. Oh, yeah. Hard fizz that you get. It's it's one of the like simple things in life that brings me so much joy. <laughs> so, OK, let's pivot a little bit. So you're from Richmond, Virginia. I am, just like you. Yes, we went to high school together. Shout out to St. Gertrude. <laughs> How, when was the last time you were home? I was home for a couple of weeks just last month. So I, I was I spent, when I was in South Africa, I was in South Africa for about a month and a half. Wow. Then I went straight from South Africa. So I left, I le- let me back up. I spent Christmas uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in Richmond with my family. Okay. The day after Christmas, I left for South Africa. My parents took me to the airport. Oh. Um, I was in South Africa about a, for about a month, and then I came back to Richmond for my dad's birthday and was there for about two weeks, maybe. And that's, that was the first time that I had spent significant time in Richmond for a long time. Like, I usually will go for, like, a holiday and an extra day, so maybe two days here, three days here. But it had been a really long time since I, like, way too long since I had spent a sustained, like, a week. What was, was anything shocking about it when you went home? It's funny. It's the kind of city where everyone, like, my brother still lives there, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of city where everyone is constantly being like, oh, it's so different now. It's so different now. It's so different now. you got to come back. It's so different now. And I love Richmond. I have nothing. I have nothing bad to say about Richmond. I love. It's a. It's a great city. But it's just the kind of city that so many things are the same. Yeah. And sometimes, in some ways, that's very good. Where it's like, I bought my first bike when I was a kid. My parents got it from Ag's bicycle. AG's that store is remember. Yeah. Bring out the best in you. Yeah. <laughs> so and that store is still there, right? Yeah. Like it's just where I left it. And mm-hmm. so much of that is so much of that nostalgia was sort of powerful. But then some of the other things that I maybe didn't like as much to, to me seem still very, very similar. So mm-hmm. it's it's it'll always be there. It'll always be my home. You're from I mean, you lived in you were we grew up in Richmond. You moved away. You then you came back and you're sort of like a global citizen a bit like you move around a lot. Yeah. Um, a bit like me, I think. I don't get to hang out with Ava DuVernay. Oh, well. But, <laughs> but I do I do travel. I do get get around. I so I, I have this theory that Richmond is sort of like there are a lot of people who are from there uh-huh. and they we all sort of gravitate out. And it's like you I meet people who are from Richmond that you would have never thought of from like Richmond. Okay, perfect example. Before I started podcasting, one of the first podcasts that I got really, really into was this podcast hosted by two comedians, um, Sarah Schaefer and Nikki Glazer. They oh, eventually nice. sold their podcast to MTV. They had a show on MTV for a while. Mm-hmm. And 
Sarah Schaefer is now like a like a pretty like successful stand-up comedian, lives in LA, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to the podcast and she was like, Oh, I went to I think St. Catharines. Uh, and I'm from oh, wow. I'm from Midlothian, Virginia. And I was like, I'm from Midlothian, Virginia. What are the odds? Yeah. And so I do think it's a kind of city where people no, there are I think either you leave and like stay out or you stay for a long time. Absolutely correct. So one of the things that's interesting is like I stayed away for a long time and moved back and I haven't met as many people who have done that. Mm. It's either people who have gone out and like are just out in the world or people who have gone, maybe gone away to college and then like come and stay. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a home. It's a home. And you know, my family is still there. And every time I'm there, I'm sort of like, my, my parents are like, oh, you know, you could always move back here. Like, it's different. Like, you would like it. Like, blah, blah, blah. My, my brother is always like, I mean, you know what I mean? My brother is always like showing me the new sites. Like, oh, we have got, we've got breweries now, you know, like very excited to, and he's right. Like it, those things were not there when I was young. And I could see how it will be a very attractive city for like a young creative type like myself. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe, maybe I just have a different connection to it because it's where I grew up. Yeah. I think also the thing that's interesting there too is like, okay, it's one thing to be like, oh, we have breweries now. We have like this thing now, but it's still that like the essence of the city is still very much the same. It's still a very, it's a small, big city. So it's still very much a family town. Mm-hmm. You can't get food after 11 o'clock. A lot of places, really 10 and a lot of places, unless our searching or like you just know the after hour spot. Right. Right. And when you're in a place like a DC a New York, a, a Chicago LA like it's just like way you have way more options for I think at least for like young single people or Mm -hmm. people for like extra recreation where you have the opportunity to meet more people whereas back home a lot of people have like already started families and you know they're just like on a whole different trajectory of yeah I often feel that when I'm in Richmond I feel that and it's sort of of one of those things where I feel like when I articulate it it sounds very you know bougie yes but also it's (laughs) yes and uh, bougie but also condescending and it's like I guess what I'm saying is that I look at the people like the people that we went to high school with Mm -hmm. it's a bit unusual that you and I are not married owning a house with kids like if we lived in Richmond that would be Uh, that would be we would be outliers I I guess I would say yeah and when I'm in D.C., or, you know, when I was living in New York, when I was living in San Francisco, when, I, when I've lived in, like, bigger cities, mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. Yeah. And when I'm in Richmond, I do feel that way. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that from a place of, like, condescension. I'm saying that as a place, like, part of me is almost sort of, I wouldn't use the word jealous, but certainly curious about what that is like. What mm-hmm. is it like to, be, to, like, live in a place where you grew up and, like, maybe you went away for college and maybe you came back and then you bought a house, started a family. Like, I'm genuinely very curious about what that is like. And I bet it's very fulfilling. And I just, I have been thinking a lot. Sounds terrible. Oh? (laughs) I mean, I want the kids and the marriage part, but, like, there's something about, there's something comforting about, like, the replication of your family structure, but there's also something really scary about, like, the nesting process and, like, becoming, I don't know, it's it's a little, to me, it scares me a little bit. It is scary. And I think it's, I think it's sort of, like, back to what you said about us, us being, like, women of a certain age. It's, like, the kind of thing that you think about <laughs> when you do hit, like, your, thir- your mid-30s where you're like, oh, well, do I want a family? Do I want this? Do I want that? Do mm-hmm. I want? And so for me, nothing is more clear about my life to me than the fact that I cannot maintain the lifestyle that I have, the professional lifestyle that I have, the social lifestyle that I have, where, mm-hmm. you know, I have to camp, I have to set up shop in a different country for a month. Mm-hmm. Nothing is clear to me about that than the fact that, like, I cannot have a normal 
quote unquote normal family as mm. well, right? Like I either have to choose take tie the baby to your back. And yeah, you know, it. people do it. People do it. Um, yeah, I would either have to choose. I live an exciting, like jet setting, quote unquote life, or like I am more grounded and more settled, and like nothing is clearer to me than that feeling. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I remember I spent a month in Australia a few years ago training human rights activists, like climate activists and stuff. And before that trip, I also was in Richmond, and my mom took me to the airport, and we went to get lunch at Chili's before the air <laughs> before going to the airport. And a bunch of baddies. Yeah. <laughs> That's like kind of our thing is like that. There's like a specific Chili's that we go to. Um, and on the way there, I ran into like an old classmate from like junior high. And he oh, was wow. like, oh, what are you up to these days? And I was like, oh, I, he was like, are you are you back in Richmond? And I was like, no, I'm on my way to Australia. I'm going to live there for a month. And I remember like I, I may as well have said like I'm going to the moon to like be to like be a moon man. I'm going to live on the moon. Like I just felt so foreign to be in Richmond and explaining like the intricacies intricacies of my life to someone who I'm sure was like that sounds insane your life sounds ridiculous to me do your parents understand what you do what you do absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) like like absolutely not and to be clear where your parents are from the country of Virginia my mom is from the Zunai Virginia you probably have never heard of it it is exactly the kind of town that you're thinking. When you hear the word Zunai, whatever that evokes in your mind, that is probably accurate. Okay. Uh, my dad is from um, North Carolina, uh, but they're both, they're both like, they're, neither of them I would describe as like from the city. Like from, like, they're not, they're like not, you know. Good, good country folks. Yeah. They're super fun. They're the best. They're the best. You've met them. They're the best. I... They ask about you all the time. Tell them I said hello. I want to, co- I really wanted to come over Thanksgiving, but I don't remember. I feel like my, we were, I don't remember where we were, but. Side note: The Tides have like a banging Thanksgiving. Party. It's like it's the, it's a it's the tent pole of our year. <laughs> who is like the person that you would like fangirled out? Oh of? my god, it's not going to be a good answer. I actually know exactly who it is, <laughs> and it's it's such a specific thing to me that mm-hmm. like everyone listening would be like, I don't know who this person is. She does not sound famous. So one of my jobs that I do is I'm an executive producer for a podcast for Refinery Twenty Nine. Oh. Um, it's called Unstyled, um, and it's great. Our host is amazing. She is the kind of host who, like, producing for her is a dream because she makes my job so easy. And through that show, we've got to meet some incredible, incredible women who have incredible stories. We've talked to Misty Copeland, um, the dancer who was amazing. We talked to um, Cynthia Nixon when she was still running for governor in New York. We've talked to Lena Dunham. We've talked to, I, I didn't get to produce this episode, but they talked to Gabrielle Union. So just really A-list, stellar women. And all, mm. and, and all of them were amazing, meeting them was amazing, all super cool. But the one person that we talked to that I would describe as my personal, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say like hero, I use, I've usually used the word idol, but hero is this um, woman, Katya Blitchfield. Okay. You might be thinking, who the fuck is Katya Blitchfield? And that's a completely fair question. No yeah. <laughs> um, Katya Blitchfield is a director and producer. She produces a show on HBO. She's a showrunner on HBO Dope. for a show called High Maintenance. Um, she got her start as a casting director um, on 30 Rock, which is sort of like behind the scenes. She won an Emmy for that, for her work on 30 Rock. Um, She was at the time married to this actor, Ben Sinclair, who was just sort of, because of the way, he is a a very specific kind of like body type. And because of his body type, he was getting a lot of those like creep number three on Law and Order type (laughs) roles. You know what I'm saying? Like those kind of roles. Okay. And so she thought like, wouldn't it be great you know, she's living in Brooklyn. All her friends were creatives and actors and writers. And she thought, wouldn't it be great to have a kind of a fun project to do where we could highlight Ben's acting and also our friends could all have fun together. 
And so they created this funky little web series just on their own, you know, bought some cameras mm-hmm. um, called High Maintenance. And okay. it's amazing. It's so diverse and inclusive. It's like one, it was like one of the first shows that when I was living in New York, it was, I was like, this feels like what my New York experience looked like. Like it was mm. a very familiar mm-hmm. um at, at a time where there were a lot of shows that were purporting to tell you this is what it, this is what it feels like to be like a like a twenty year a twenty something in New York like girls Sex in the City whatever mm-hmm. of all of those shows it was the one show that I was like this actually feels like my experience mm-hmm. and she was able to you know like HBO bought that show oh, and wow. so now just you know she started sort of like making this goofy thing with her friends just like goofing around and now mm-hmm. she's a showrunner on one of the biggest television networks on TV. And I oh. I admire so much um, the idea that you could just make a creative a creative thing and like start it in your kitchen or in your basement or with your friends or mm-hmm. in a plant-filled, crystal-filled <laughs> shithole apartment in Columbia Heights. This is not this is a lovely home. Um I have cozy. to put I have to put towels on my on my radiator <laughs> to to manage the heat because we don't control it. That that is that is just a hot yoga studio. <laughs> Add a humidifier. Add, add a humidifier. Yeah, I, <laughs> you would pay for your own yoga. Exactly. I should get some people in here and do a little, do a little. You got crystals. I got crystals. You I got, got heat. I got blankets. What else do you need? Yeah, and I think that I think that the idea that you don't have to be this like rich, wealthy, well-connected person to make a cool, creative thing that people are going to want to mm-hmm. engage with. I think like that's what I find so in- incredibly like cool about her work is that she just like started a thing and now it's a real thing. And I think that yeah. for anyone who's ever wanted to make a thing, you go through that process of like, I'm going to be, you know, talking to myself. I'm going to mm-hmm. start a blog and no one's going to read it. I'm going to do a podcast. It's going to get no listens other than mm-hmm. my friends. And I think she her work really shows that like if you push through that, you can really make something that really hits. Dope. When have you like made a big boo-boo or a big fuck up? Every day. All the time. <laughs> well, what's one? I mean, I, I think a lot of times too, particularly as like young black people, there's this feeling like you can't mess up. You can't you can't like have any mistakes. You have to always kind of be do, be twice as good. Mm. Um, and as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've really wanted for myself is to have the success and even more the same success as like a med- mediocre white dude. God, right? don't we all? <laughs> don't we <laughs> like all the wish same that? Opportunity to just be like, you know what? I can be as comfortable with myself as like a dude named Bill. And so like that is like my I know like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce and mm-hmm. I have Bill where it's like, you know what? I'm just going to be okay. And that's not to say that you shouldn't like strive. I think there's something very beautiful about striving and being like being reaching for your highest heights but there's also something beautiful about being like this is what i offer out into the world and this is enough oh my god i'm so happy to hear you say this this is like (laughs) so whenever when i i told my coworkers too about bill and now (laughs) i love it i love how a lot of like like white gay men will say things like i have a sassy black woman living inside of me (laughs) and you're like i have a mediocre but very successful white man living inside of me (laughs) Basically, his name is Bill. <laughs> Comes to work, does his thing, goes home. I love it. I love it. Um, I totally forgot about that. I've heard so many people. I, that's like a thing people say. Like, I have a sad, I have a, I'm like, I'm going to unleash my inner sassy black woman. Yo, and there like li- literally is a Bill inside me. Oh, shit. Oh, man. But yeah, so like, when have you like fucked up and just been like, you know what? It just is what it is. I got to keep moving. 
or what's the L that you've had to take where you're like, damn, because you do a lot of online work. Yeah. Right? I and mean, I feel like there's always, uh, okay, so this is my other thing too. It's like, there's always a point, particularly when you do a lot of living online, mm-hmm. where like, you're going to get dragged. Oh my God. <laughs> so yes. When, when, have you, when have you been like, damn, like the dragging police came and, and got me or were you taking an L and it's just like. God, right. I honestly, I, there are so, I'm like scanning my brain because there's so many <laughs> instances. It, I mean, I think you're right, right? That. Anyone who says anything in public, you are you are risking that, right? Like, it's going to happen. People are going to not like what you have to say. And you would be surprised at kind of minefields that you don't even know you're walking into. Like, I have said things on the podcast where I didn't even realize I was walking into a minefield. And I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't know, you know. Um, and you just sort of have to, if you're going to make a thing, you have to sort of deal with that. Like, it's, it's, been, a, it's been tough because... No one wants to feel like they're getting it wrong. It's, it's, and you know, like black folks on Twitter, there's nothing worse. Like we <laughs> are a a discerning bunch, a skeptical and discerning bunch. And so being dragged by your own is, oh, you know, there's nothing, bad. there's nothing like that. I would say professionally speaking, I did have a, I did have a recent issue where it's just like one of those issues where I'm like, I gotta look, I think I maybe played every aspect of this incorrectly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll speak candidly about it, which is that I was hosting like a very big podcast and I wasn't making a lot of money and it was becoming an issue where it was like, I was being asked to do more and more and more work Mm. and the amount of work and the scope of work was changing and the money was not changing. And I was having to do like, my life has always been like a cobbling together of different jobs to pay the bills, Mm -hmm. but I was having to do more cobbling, Mm -hmm. but being asked to do more and more stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? I got very into this idea of like black creatives should know their worth. And like, I'm going to ask for more money. And like, what are they going to do? Fire me? What are they going to do? Not pay me? Like, and they were like, we're not going to give you that money. And it it was a real humbling and tough experience because we are so often told, like, know your worth, demand your worth. Like, if you are taking less than your worth, you're, like, screwing yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I think all of that is true. But also, for me, that was a good lesson of, like, a lot of when you are a Black creative, a lot of, like, white, powerful people do see you as replaceable. And, like, mm. learning that. And, like, that was a bitter fucking pill to swallow that I may think that what I'm doing is so great and so awesome. And I think it is so great and so awesome. And I think I'm very talented. Mm-hmm. But that it really held a mirror up to the way that a lot of industry folks, quote unquote, or decision makers or power holders Mm -hmm. view particularly black creatives. And I think that was really hard for me to be like, to to have to sort of square that circle was really tough. And But why though? Did you, did you think, did you like secretly hope that it wasn't, that wasn't actually the case? Or did you have more faith in the folks that you were working with that it was I I think that's a great question. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't fully processed. I think for me, it was realizing that I felt like I had made a lot of sacrifices Mm -hmm. for them, and like you know I'd been there for years, and I had been I I was very invested in that work, and I think that that really showed. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of personal sacrifices. Sacrifice like that work put a lot of strain on a lot of my personal friendships and personal relationships. So it was like a very it was very demanding work and I, mm-hmm. I showed up every day like ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's like when you have a job and they're like, we're a family here. Oh, and then they're like, oh, but you're fired. It's like, <laughs> before I thought we were a family, like, you know, it was like realizing that, that mm-hmm. like they had sort of, it worked, the, the, the process worked great for them when I was like happy to do what I, like happy to like kill myself for them. But mm-hmm. when I was like, hey, I should be getting, you know, compensated for this fairly, mm-hmm. that, that, that arrangement no longer worked. And, and so these- I, are, were these like 
I'm trying to think of a tactful way to say this, but I think one of the things that I am constantly kind of coming up against is like good people. Also, like, you know, like in, in Virginia now, Ralph Northam, we mm-hmm. thought he was like a good white guy, right? A Democrat, doctor, progr- progressive quotes. Right. But like, I think a lot of times you, it's easy to forget that the systems that we are actively fighting against show up even in places where people like seem like good folks or like absolutely or progressive folks or absolutely so and i mean you've been in the progressive organizing oh yeah sphere and you've seen that too so it's like, oh yeah and I, again like people aren't perfect but you when those when you start brushing up against those uh kind of systems and kind of be like oh like this is what this is yeah and i i think that's definitely part of it where you do kind of forget that those systems exist mm-hmm. it's it's very seductive to not see to like blur out those systems Mm -hmm. and then when they come back into focus that can be really just like jarring i guess is what i'm saying and i think i mean like look 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 at the the news the last few weeks like media like like in the last what 72 hours Mm -hmm. something like three thousand media professionals all lost their jobs and i think part of it is just sort of understanding like it's a shitty industry like like i've chosen an industry where like they don't really value you and like Mm -hmm. Even if even if you feel, even if your work, the work that you were creating brings you internal fulfillment and you feel like this, I'm doing good stuff here. I'm really proud of it. That at the end of the day, when you work in media, maybe maybe this isn't true, isn't true for everybody, but it's definitely been my experience. That like, it's a shitty industry and like they will, especially if you're a black creative, mm-hmm. they will make sure that you know that you are that you are replaceable. And this is kind of a weird segue, but like a lot of people made fun of Monique when she oh, was like asking yeah. for, um, when she was like, talking about her her pay with Netflix, mm-hmm. and she put up this interview. I think I want to say it was with Vulture. Um, it was amazing. But one of the things that she said was that, you know, when Hattie McDaniel was in um, in Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. they didn't just pay. So obviously they paid her less than her white counterparts, mm-hmm. but they then paid her, Monique maintains that they paid her less than she would less than she deserved, even on par with like other black actors, mm-hmm. to make sure that she internalized that that she was not worth a lot. And mm-hmm. so like, even when they could have paid her more, they, they, they didn't even pay her on par with other black, her, her other like black peers, peers yeah. to make sure that she understood that she was replaceable. Mm-hmm. And I think learning to understand how those systems work in industries, in workplaces, but also how we internalize them mm-hmm. was really a difficult, that was an L. That was an L that I took and had to sort of like sit with and process. Mm-hmm. This is a question that I wonder because we, even though we went to, to high school together, we sound very different. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if in your work, people are like, wait, they hear you and they maybe not assume that you're black. I don't know. I remember when I first started podcasting, God, this is going back a ways, but like I had this kind of black Ira Glass voice that I would do <laughs> where it was clear that it was clear that I wanted to sound polished NPR. Yeah. Like it was very clear. Yeah. Like I remember I listened to like, um, footage of Michelle Nor. Like I, li- I listened to all oh. of these like NPR voices. Audie Cornish. Audie. I, Audie. I listened to a lot of Audine. Cause I, I, I thought, wouldn't it be great if people listening who didn't see my face didn't necessarily know what my race was, mm-hmm. but then through the content, they would, un- they would like, that would become clear. Like in the, in the beginning, I really like wrestled with this and I thought like, what is, what, like, what is the, what is the move here? Like, mm-hmm. do you, 
it just I I wrestled with it quite a bit, and it's funny because I go back and listen to those early episodes, and it's cl- it's very clear. You know how when you hear your like your voice on an yeah. answering machine, it's very clear to me that I am. It's like it's like a real affectation. <laughs> it's like it, it's very cr- it's almost cringy to talk about it. I can, no, but it's, it's I can still sort of do the voice. But yeah, no, I, I understand what you mean though. <laughs> Definitely, as I've gotten older, I just the my like the capacity that I have to care about stuff has just gotten so <laughs> small. I'm like I have the things I can care about and. All the other stuff, it's just, whatever you think is fine. If you think my voice sounds like I'm trying to sound white, great. If you think mm-hmm. I sound too black, fine. Like have I just have to. Have you heard either of those? I've heard all of them. Like when you're a podcaster, I've heard every. I've heard everything. <laughs> you sound like you're 16. You sound like you're trying to sound smart. You sound like you're trying to sound white. You sound too black. You sound this. Like there, the sh- I've heard every stripe of everything. Mm-hmm. I have. There's not anything that anyone can tell me about the way that I speak that I have not already heard. Mm-hmm. I've probably heard three iterations of it already. So, mm-hmm. and I think that was also, that was really hard. Like when I first started podcasting, mm-hmm. it was tough. And now I always say, like when I, when I do a new podcast, I say, listeners, you know, I, I want to connect with you. I want to engage with you. If you have a specific piece of feedback about the way that I speak or my voice or the way that I'm mm-hmm. presenting information, do me a favor, write it down and shove it up your ass because I really <laughs> do not want to hear it. I have no interest in it. That's dope. Yeah, like I just, That's it's dope. just one of those things where it's like, I just. Well, you sound the same. You you literally sound the exact same as high school. I think that's probably true. I mean, people, it's funny. People who I, like when friends who know me now, who didn't know me in high school, meet like you or Kristen on Dishko or like my oh. brothers, they'll be like, oh, what was Bridget like in high school? And they're always like exactly, exactly the, same. the same. Like, I don't feel like I've changed no, at all. Not really. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe you're supposed to change. No, I mean, I think that, that I could... I think there's definitely like the mellowing and the not giving a fuck that happens when you get older. But I think your general personality, like, oh, because every time I meet somebody that has met you or like out like professionally, they're like, oh my god, I fucking love Bridget Todd. Like, there's like, I paid them all a lot of money to say that. <laughs> but like, there's that. But then also, there's a part of you that I know likes likes to retreat and just not in the mix. Because I think what happens is. People were like, oh my God, I love Bridget Todd. And like they clamored to like try to get a lot of your time. And you're like, uh, I need some time away. I'm a, I'm a, people have a hard time believing this, but I'm an introvert. I really, I yeah, I really, like I said, I mean, I really, this weekend has been the first weekend I've been home in DC for a while. And wow. all I've done this weekend is go to the gym, <laughs> go for a run, make dinner. That sounds luxurious. Watched a movie. Like I haven't really, I yeah. And it's like, I think, I think we all, we, it's important to sort of know uh, like it's important to understand who you are and like mm-hmm. as as we were talking about earlier when we do the kind of work that I do that's very public facing and like mm-hmm. I'm going to festivals and I have to be like kind of on mm-hmm. knowing that that comes at a cost and that I have to then like recharge those batteries by yeah. spending a weekend kind of like avoiding my friends and being like oh well maybe I'll come out like knowing that I'm not going to <laughs> and having people that understand that and fuck with you still is so key like yeah don't I mean particularly if you're trying to be a creative but really for anybody like don't don't have anybody in your space in your circle mm-hmm. in the like circle of trust that would like guilt you for not coming out or yeah. like get like that's yeah that's like a major key though I think because I think and when people like in a place like DC where a lot of people work for the government or do like law there's a very different type of culture around work but there's this thought that like with creative work it just like appears and you're like some genius in the corner it's like no you have to sit down and write you have to sit down and plan out your weeks you have to sit down and get your travel together mm-hmm. and like do reimbursements and ex- invoices and all this shit that's like people don't see when they just see me on instagram in south africa or wherever like mm-hmm. 
the boring admin that goes along with being a, a creative professional mm-hmm. is also very draining. And But you yeah. ha- it has to get done because you got to get paid. Yeah. What is your process? Like, how do you... Like, so it sounds like you do work on a bunch of different podcasts and you've kind of, you have created a space for yourself as a a content producer. So Mm. how, what's your process for maybe writing? I know you used to write like uh, persuasive opinion essays. Mm -hmm. What's your process for that versus writing or organizing your mind around podcasting or event production? That's a good question. It all kind of comes from the same place, I would say. Oh, this sounds so obnoxious, but I have to say it. Like, I get up every morning and I do my morning pages. Oh, um, you read the artist way? Yes. Okay. It, it does help. It, it, does. it does help. And like, it just, so that's like a big thing for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I do it every morning. Yeah, I think I really, this is such, I'm, the answer is like not boring or sexy. Like I just chunk out my time. And so on any given time, I have maybe three projects that are like in production, have to do work on them. They're currently on the air or, or like about to be on the air. Mm-hmm. Then I have another handful of projects that are like in development. Like I want to pitch this to someone. I want to mm-hmm. try to get this off the ground. If I can get myself to work on this, it'd be great. Then I have sort of like a lofty like, oh, well, maybe in a couple of months I'll do this. And so blocking out my days where it's clear what what um, thing I'm going to be working on on what day. So like mm-hmm. Mondays, that is for admin stuff. So like invoices, following oh, up on emails okay. and that kind of thing. Checking back in, like just following up, oh, like that kind of thing. <laughs> And getting work done on projects that, like, are going to be being released, like, in a couple days. And so okay. have to get done. Tuesdays, I, I like to hold for, like, writing, brainstorming, planning, mm-hmm. a lot of solitude. Wednesdays, just calls, right? So, like, I have this thing where I cannot stand having calls. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to talk to me. So I don't know what it is about me, but, like, having a you long. Don't answer your phone. You I just like, answer your phone. Something, something about, like, the inner, like, it just, <laughs> it's like an energy suck. And actually, I actually know what it is. Uh... It's this idea that, like, when someone. Again, this sounds very obnoxious, and I apologize. I know it Stop sounds obnoxious. It just—it just sounds just obnoxious. Be a bad bitch and like say this. I have to own it. Yeah. Your time is so valuable when you have to work on eight different projects at once, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you really have to be protective of your time. Mm -hmm. And along with that comes energy. And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, for me, when someone calls me, something about that is, like, it's, like, the implication is they expect an immediate response. And so it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what I'm doing on my end. I could be in the middle of, like, a meditation ceremony or something. And, like, the expectation is, like, you will stop whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. and, like, deal with whatever it is that I'm, like, giving to you. Mm -hmm. And one day I realized that's not true. Like, like, I can manage this in a way that works for me and if it doesn't work for others like that just has to be fine so yeah um you don't fuck with phone calls it's not that i don't fuck with them i just i realized one day that like there was one day so i worked at planned parenthood they have a real kind of like bad culture around meetings and calls where like you would have a day where you were in back-to-back calls all day and then it would be like okay well i don't know when you're expecting me to get this work mm-hmm. done because mm-hmm. i've been in calls all day so i'm not doing it and then I realized, I was like, did I get hired to be on calls or did I get hired to like <laughs> do things? I was like, I really, I was like really having like a cosmic crisis about like, about, about that. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but I was. And in my personal life at that, at that time, I was getting a lot of friends wanting to catch up and like, can we get coffee and can you meet this person? And like, it was a lot of that. And like, I also, like, that's part of like being a solid connected person and friend and, you know, mm-hmm. tending to those relationships. But I also found that very draining as well. Mm-hmm. And You know, I just realized one day that I could either be the world's best text replier, phone call answer, email replier, or I could be, feel like a really solid, like creative producer. Mm -hmm. And that I didn't feel like I could do both. Mm -hmm. And 
I have ways like I, like if someone sends me an email, I usually am like, okay, my day to catch up on email is this day. And so like, it's okay if it's in my, in my inbox for a couple of days or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just would have like given, like kind of like how you were saying, like giving yourself license to be like, I don't have to do everything perfectly to like execute well. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm good at making podcasts. I'm good at making online content. I'm good at throwing global events. If that means I have to like be kind of shitty at some other things, I'm like, I have to just sort of be okay with that because I can't, I juggle so many things. Not everything is going to, some things I have to sort of not be good mm-hmm. and it's just it's just a thing in my life maybe that's the wrong maybe that's the wrong answer no that's that's you that's your answer yeah what is right for you that's but you i mean you've never i'll be honest i've known you for 19 years 19 you years have the same number you've never been the person to be like on the phone no people <laughs> i actually don't understand people who are on their phone all the time i i once dated someone who could not get off of their phone for five seconds if we watched a movie it was on the phone was always holding their phone i was like i don't understand this i will leave the house and leave my phone right here i've never been a phone person mm-hmm. even in the age of smartphones and instagram i'm like this just makes me feel depressed i would rather be <laughs> not on my phone any so that's all i have do you have any other last words any other things that you want to share for folks for the Richmond, the young Richmonder that's out there that's like, damn, I want to see the world and <laughs> yeah, know how to like, because go- I feel like Richmond is a very, is a place where it's like, if you don't know about like what the world has to offer, it can be hard to find that. I'm mean, probably less so now because of the internet, but. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a tough time for me. Like I loved, I'm really lucky to have grown up in Richmond, but, and I, I grew up in Richmond, but I should say I grew up in Midlothian. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, shout out to Midlothian Middle School. The no, south side. I, I know. <laughs> hey, Everything south of the river. I just don't. Know. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I remember growing up in Midlothian and thinking that like I would probably never leave Virginia. Thinking that like I would mm. never see. I, oh my god, I remember thinking like maybe I would go to VCU. Probably I would go to like community college. Like I would go to J- like J. Sergeant Reynolds. And there's nothing wrong with either of those schools at all. But I remember thinking that. I like the idea that I would probably be because I just didn't know I didn't know you know how you don't know what you don't know like I didn't know what was out there I didn't know what was was possible I didn't know what like life had in store for me and so Mm. I had this real sense that my life sort of began and end in in Midlothian Virginia and I mean like I didn't have the internet until pretty late and so yeah I just like didn't I just couldn't imagine anything outside of that like I just like it was really difficult for me to imagine you know these worlds of possibilities of like Mm -hmm. what's out there and like you know when we were in high school they would do that thing where people went to college and they would announce where they went to and it was like it was like a handful of it was like like there were a few outliers but for the most part there was like a handful of places you would go to school in Virginia North Carolina maybe Georgia but it wasn't like people were in in Virginia it was usually UVA mm-hmm. Virginia Tech or one of the like uh Randolph Macon mm-hmm. or the, uh, JMU Absolutely ODU. correct. I just I remember I was like oh I'm going to an HBCU and they were like why would some of the girls were like why would you go to an all black school? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know the student you were just doing an impression of. <laughs> oh god. Well that's it's a, yeah we can have an offline conversation <laughs> we can take that one off we can we can <laughs> take that one offline but yeah all right bridget well thank you so much for thank you for having me letting me hang out in your humble abode yeah come you. back for the yoga lessons <laughs> next week all right <laughs> this is t and thank you for listening to the creative kickback make sure that you like us subscribe and share on iTunes and Spotify and all over the internet. Our outro music is Call On Me by Aaron Abernathy. Peace.